Would you go with me over to Romans chapter 10? We've been talking about returning to faith and learning to use your faith in a practical way, like a tool, uh, demystifying the concept of the walk of faith. Uh, the Bible tells us we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, that's a wonderful truth, but we need to be instructed as to actually how to walk by faith. And that's what this is all about. And so what I've been led to do is to talk to you about four dimensions of walking by faith, that if you are doing these regularly in your life, you will, in fact, be learning to use your faith as a tool. And faith is powerful. Can I, say, can I hear you say that? Faith is powerful. It actually accomplishes things. It's like you can put a power tool in your hand. It will expedite things. It will cause things to get done right and correctly, but also get done in a more efficient manner. Well, the first thing you have to do, of course, is you have to hear what God says about a matter. Faith comes by hearing. And under the preach and anointed teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, you begin to have things strike your spirit, the realities of the Word of God. But it's not enough just to stop with hearing. Today, all over this community, people will be hearing. But that does not mean that they're actually walking by faith. Just to hear a sermon does not mean you're walking by faith. If that were true, then everybody in America who's gone to church in 20 years would be faith giants. But that's just not the case. So hearing, it's not enough. We have to hear what God says about a matter, but then we need to believe what God says about a matter. I don't know about you, but I want to be a believing believer. If God says something in here, a command, a rebuke, or a promise, I'm going to lay hold of it, and I'm not going to let somebody tell me that I have perverted the gospel as an American just because I believe what this book says. From cover to cover, Amen. But it's not enough to hear and believe what God says. You also need to, and we'll talk about this today, you need to say what God says about a matter. Say it with me. I've got to hear what God says. I've got to believe what God says. And I've got to say what God says. This will become more clear to you today. And I want this to be as, as easy to receive and as simple as possible because I believe that the concepts of faith has been, in some ways, you know, to, you know, you know, mystified. I want to demystify that. It's been complicated. I want to uncomplicate it. You know, it's been basically confusing to a lot of people, and it shouldn't be. Say it with me. I hear from God, I then I believe what He says, and then I say what He says. So let's uh, go into Romans chapter 10 for a moment. I'm going to read this to you, starting at verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Uh, other translations, where that's where it literally says the word of faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How I many of that's good news? Yes. Now look up at me and pay attention very carefully. What God just gave us through Paul is the prescription for getting saved. This is how a person gets born again. You and I don't get to pick the pathway of the new birth. You and I don't get to tell God how to do it. We have to do what he says in his word to become born again or to get saved. And he says, faith in your heart and faith coming out of your mouth. Believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and saying with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And confession is made unto salvation. Read on with me here. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now notice there is justification with the belief. And there is, of course, salvation with the profession of your faith or the declaring of what God said about salvation. For there is, it says here, as Scripture says, anyone 
who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Having heard, we need to believe. And having believed, we need to say, faith in the heart and faith in the mouth is what this scripture actually teaches for you and for me. So it would be faith has to be in two places. In the heart and in the mouth. There are a lot of people that believe things but never get around to saying what God said. A lot of people that parrot people with their mouth of what God said, but deep in the heart, they've not made the decision to believe what God said about that matter. So again, we have to hear what God said about a matter. We have to believe what God said about a matter. And we have to say what God said about a matter. And there's a very important reason for that. Now, people who look at this and say, well, I don't believe it takes all that. You know, that sounds like bondage to me. It sounds like something that doesn't relate to me. Again, God is the one that set this system up. Now, what I'm thankful about today is God didn't give us 15 or 20 or 50 different systems. The way you get saved is the way you receive any part of your redemption. Same mechanics, same example, same precision. And it's important for us to understand that. How we get saved through precise beliefs and precise words. God said, you're going to give me precision in your believing and precision in the things that you actually say. Watch this. You believe in your heart that God, what, raised Jesus. And you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Well, you can believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead, but then say Buddha is Lord, and it's not precise. Or Hare Krishna is Lord. Or your money is Lord. Or in a lot of cases in America, you as an individual are your own Lord. No, you have to believe specifically. Say with precision. Once you get this down today, faith is a lifestyle of precision. Not bondage, not legalism, but precision. There's only one name. How's that for precision? Not 50 names. Not any name you want. But how many names? One name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. We know that Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. That to one name. You believe that God raised up Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's precision. Not any Lord you choose or the Lord of the week club. There's precision. God is very precise. Here's my question for you today. If such precision of language is required to be saved, what makes us think that less precision is required to access these other areas of your redemption? If you have to be precise to be saved, then you need to be precise to be healed. You need to be precise to be delivered. Precise to see yourself you know, walking in abundance rather than lack all the time. Precise to be free from things like bondages and afflictions, whatever's coming at you and coming towards you. Whatever it is that's troubling you, there is blood that has been shed for that. But there has to be faith precision for you to walk in the fullness of these things. And somebody tells you these things don't matter, they're not telling you the truth. And I won't say they're lying to you because most of the time it's not lying, it's lack of knowledge. But Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So if we lack knowledge on these areas of faith, we don't want to stay that way because it's not some little neutral vacuum you're in. If we don't walk by faith, guess what? We're walking by sight. 
and we'll receive the fruit of walking like a natural person. All precision means is the quality or condition or fact of being exact and accurate in your life. Say it with me. Exact. Accurate. He said, believe God raised Jesus from the dead. That's as precise as you can get. Now, do we know of anybody else raised from the dead? Not who claimed to be the Lord and the God of this universe. Amen. He has raised other people from the dead. But we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Claiming to be, of course, who he was. And we know from Scripture that you must confess that name. Jesus is Lord. Shout it out. Jesus is Lord. Now, that's what we call about being exact and precise when it comes to your salvation. I'm so thankful God laid it out. Because it doesn't say anything about church membership. It didn't say anything about grandpa being a preacher. It doesn't say anything about being grandfathered in. It doesn't say anything about good works. It doesn't say anything about being a Jew or a Gentile in terms of you have to be this to be saved. No, you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And you must say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and confession is made unto salvation. Turn to somebody and say, that is precise. And you know exactly one of the, the operations right now in this world is to confuse that precision. Jesus can't possibly be the only way to heaven. Well, right there, by that statement, you stepped away from the precision. And not only have you compromised your own salvation, you're compromising the salvation of everybody that's listening to you. There are not multiple ways to heaven. God has given us precise way to get to heaven. Amen. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? But through me. That's what Scripture says. It's precise. Amen. Not legalistic. Precise. Confess literally means to say the same thing about. So if you're in a position where you've done something wrong and God says that something is a sin, don't call it just a boo-boo. Amen? A mistake or an oops, just call it what it is. And say what God says about that thing. If he makes a command over your life, then you start saying the same thing he says. And if he gives you a promise, say the same thing as he says. That's what confession is, and that's what precision is all about. I got to thinking about Tracy's uh, boards up there and and how getting God's presence and in his community and the word of God, God will take things off your life, won't he? Yes. The power of that light, removing things that don't belong there. I was so thrilled to get woken up this morning by my wife with, Art, come here! <laughs> so I, like a good husband, <laughs> I get up and went and she's holding our new dog, who grows, it seems like, a pound a day. And he somehow managed to get a big old turd lodged in the back of his hindquarters there. And I'm thinking about somebody coming up to me at church today saying, and how did you start your spiritual morning today, Pastor? <laughs> I, I started it by removing turds. And... And make sure you shake my hand before I leave you today. <laughs> now, <laughs> but I got to thinking about it. That's what I do every day. 
helping them remove turds from people's lives. <laughs> so I guess in a way it was a good way to start, but we finally got him cleaned up. And I noticed though that uh, she's trying to hold, he's really strong. I mean, he's got huge, you know, strong forearm, this dog for a puppy. And she's trying to hold him and I'm trying to help him out and hold him on to him. He's just struggling and you know, he's, he's biting and resistant. I thought, Lord, that's exactly what people do too. When you try to take the turd away, they bite, they bite and they resist. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Turn somebody and tell them precision. precision. If we're going to receive from God, if we're going to walk by faith, it's precision. We have to hear, we have to believe, we have to say, and not just whatever you want or what religion taught you, what you learned first grade and Sunday. So some things you learn, you're going to have to unlearn. And some things you don't know, you're going to have to fill that gap of ignorance with the knowledge, the revelation knowledge of God and then begin to on purpose agree with him. It's a powerful thing to agree with the sovereign of the universe yes. and put yourself on the same page as him yes. instead of everybody else. But I'm telling you that we do this every day and do it without even complaining. Right. Amen. Amen. How many have GPS on your phone or your car? Raise your hand. You have some kind. Okay, that's an awful lot of you. Amen. How many use it when you go on a trip? Now, we were in uh, California one year with Mark Randall, and Kelly decided she wanted to go to a Walmart. We were out in the Long Beach area, so she set little GPS on her Blackberry. Y'all remember Blackberry? That's what happens when you don't think, amen, about what's happening in the future. So she put it in that little Blackberry and set the little GPS, and uh, it said turn here and turn there and turn there and turn there. And when I made my final turn, I was not in the parking lot of Walmart. I was in old shipping containers, all with gang signs all over them. To come to find out, I found out later, we were in the most dangerous parts of L.A. Thank you very much. <laughs> but how many, when you use your GPS, you want it to actually work? So you decide maybe uh, you want to go take a vacation. Maybe you're going to go to Colorado. Maybe you're going to go to Florida. And so you, you decide you're going to do that. But then you notice that uh, you're sitting in Murray and it's directing you to Murray. And the reason it's directing you to Murray is because you did not move your GPS to the destination. It's what? It's still set to Murray. And guess what? You'll never get to your destination when you don't set it correctly. Look at somebody and tell them precision. precision. Listen, if, if you want to go to Chicago, you don't set your GPS for Denver. Well, that's bondage, Pastor. That's bondage. I don't want to do that. You do it every single day. How many of you know that when you uh, call somebody on the phone, I'm not talking about uh, it's already in your, your phone system, or you say, hey, Siri, call so-and-so. <laughs> I love that. Hey, Siri, call Tim. Mobile, home, church, which one do you want to call? <laughs> Just call one of them. Amen. <laughs> but when you're punching in the numbers, you have to punch in the exact number. Come on, say Precision. So if I don't have, you know, one of y'all's phones in my phone, I'm going to put 270 whatever. And if I'm off one digit, if I'm off one digit, it doesn't go through, I don't get to talk to that person. And you might say to yourself, well, that's bondage. That's, that's legalism. The phone knows what I mean. Look at somebody and tell them the phone don't know what you mean. I have several email addresses. I regret that. <laughs> a couple of them I have to have, but one of them, my first one is uh, art.hines at me.com. Me.com was created by Steve Jobs while he was living 
for a cloud-based server called the iCloud. And eventually, what he did is he, he walked in, he fired everybody in that particular department, but kept the email addresses. So I have a very simple email address, me.com. But the thing of it is, it's art.hines at me.com. What happens if you leave the dot off of that email address? It's gone in cyberland forever. I'll never get that. You say, well, that email, I don't know what I meant. It doesn't know what you meant. You put it in. You put it in wrong. You're not going to get it to its destination. We do this all the time. Uh, years ago at the uh, Renaissance Worthington Hotel during the Believers Convention, uh, Brother and Sister Copeland got on the elevator, and their room was on the top floor, and they just sat there in the elevator, and they were talking and talking and talking, and after five minutes or so, they dawned on them, we're not going anywhere. And uh, they looked down at the panel. Neither one of them pushed the button for the room. No, no, four. Look at somebody say, if you don't push the button, you're not going anywhere. We do this stuff all the time and don't even think about it. We walk in precision to get things done. But also when it comes to matters of spirituality and faith, well, that's bondage. And I don't know what I mean. The elevator did not know what they meant. Until they what? Pushed the button for the floor they wanted to go to. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I had a locker from hell. And remember those old, those old combination locks they used to give you? You turn to the right, turn to the left, turn to the right, and I would do it. And sometimes I'd sit there four or five times trying to get that thing open. You talk about legalistic. You had to put in the precise combination to open up the lock and get into the locker. Well, my combination lock should have known what I meant. Can I tell you something? The realm of the spirit requires precision in your believing and in your speaking. Say it with me, precision. <laughs> the realm of the spirit operates on precision. Say it with me, precision. Say it three times, precision, precision. Say it again, shout it out, Precision. Precision of the mouth, precision of the heart, that's not my teaching or rule. That's what the scripture actually teaches. Amen. Now, some of y'all in the age of computers and passwords, you have books filled with passwords. And then you have books to tell you where that book's at. <laughs> and God help you if you lose the book because the passwords are gone. Now, you know and I know that if you're going to get into a bank account or you're going to get into something that's, that you're transacting business in, you're going to have to do what with that password? Put the right one in. Look at somebody and tell them the computer does not know what you meant. And if, and if you do it long enough and keep hitting the wrong one, what's it going to do? You have exceeded the number of attempts allowable. You have tried 52 times and now you must reset your password. And then it asks you for your username. You can't remember that either. But you finally get the email to reset and you reset to something you remember and then you put in the username and the password and voila, you're in. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of Christians that need to be reset themselves in terms of the word they're receiving. And what? Reset and start all over again. And things will begin to work for you. 
Amen. If you're putting in passwords of religion or passwords of doubt or passwords of fear, you're putting things in that are not consistent with the word of God. Guess what? It's time for a reset. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, reset. reset. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I have arrived when it comes to the correct biblical use of the mouth. No, we haven't arrived yet. Look at somebody and say, I know you haven't arrived. I've been around you. Some of y'all can't handle your cheeseburger coming a minute late at McDonald's. I mean, you just, yeah, you're not, uh, that's, that's, that's your growth area. <laughs> Years ago, a uh, good friend of mine who's pastoring in Trenton, Kentucky, said, would you come over and have a, a multi-night meeting for me? I said, okay. And one of those nights, they were going to have to do some business with, with uh, you know, the Kentucky district and, and the organization they're involved in. I said, okay, and I'll, I'll be glad to handle that as well. And so I, I get there, and I'm teaching some of the things I'm teaching you right now. I mean, the power of your words, the authority of your words, lining up your, your hearing and your believing what your mouth says, you know, simple principles. One night I was teaching on this, and the power went out. Stayed out the rest of the night. I just kept on preaching like the light was out. I mean, just, you know, um, and one night I was teaching them about the importance of standing on the Word of God. Everybody say, believe the Word, stand on the Word. And uh, I was getting kind of excited myself. This is what it looks like when a Lutheran gets excited. <laughs> Move a line. <laughs> and then some of you Baptists are like, I relate to that, amen. <laughs> I relate to that. Worship from the heart, brother, from the heart. <laughs> you can't see my heart. <laughs> And uh, I've been just telling you know, um, you, can, you can get all excited and get all worked up, you know, and have an emotional experience. But what you need is revelation from the Word of God if it's going. In other words, you, you can't just come to church and have an experience. You have to learn something. You have to have some revelation from attending church so that you can apply it to your life. And so I was just all fired up, and I began to say, and you can shout, and you can spit. The problem is I merged those two words in the middle of a sermon. Listen, you, haven't, you have not lived until you have cussed in the pulpit during a sermon. Amen. <laughs> and uh, it was, I, I had the SH on my, on my lips and the I quickly coming. And I was trying to reel that thing back in. <laughs> but it, it, didn't want to, it didn't want to cooperate. <laughs> and there's a deacon sitting right about where you were. He's just watching me. He's kind of enjoying me trying to get out of this mess. <laughs> and uh, after a while, he just kind of goes. <laughs> and uh, after the service, my friend Mike comes up to me and he says, Pastor, I mean, he, he comes to me. He says, Pastor, I just want to apologize. I said, you, <laughs> you want to apologize. <laughs> um, he says, you know, uh, we got this sound guy. And he's good when he's here, but he, he's so unreliable. And he, he failed to show up tonight. And he said, you know what? No one recorded your message. And, and I said, Mike, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> and I turned around and said, yes. Grace and favor and mercy. Hallelujah. All I can think about was getting a call from a, a denominational official. Yes, because you didn't tell me about your sermon yesterday. <laughs> Look at somebody and tell them, we're a work in progress. Come on, say it, we're a work in progress. 
But how many know we should be making progress? The deliberate decision to hear what God says, to believe what God says, and then say what he says on purpose. That doesn't make you weird. That makes you a New Testament Christian. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says this. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. You know, most Christians really practice this, and they don't even know it, except it goes something like this. They feel, and therefore they speak. But the scripture says the spirit of faith tells us that we, what? Believe, and therefore speak. All I need you to do is just make a little switch here from feeling and therefore speaking to what? Believing and therefore speaking. So the feelings aren't running you anymore. It's the uncompromised word of God that comes out of your mouth. Most people I know have no problem with feeling and what? Speaking. Do I have a witness out there? We're very good at speaking our feelings. Even Tracy said it a minute ago. And there's a place for that. But you notice that in Christ-centered programs of recovery, we don't call or label people something. Hello, I'm Fred and I'm an alcoholic. Now, I'm not dissing the organization that it came from because they've helped hundreds of thousands and millions of people get out of their bondage, even though they may not have found Christ. That's a good thing. I find anybody getting free is a good thing. Amen. However, God does it. So don't take this wrong, but I'm just simply telling you, it flies in the face of this principle. If you keep calling yourself an alcoholic, that's what you're going to remain. If you keep calling yourself a drug addict, that's what you're going to remain. We don't want to hear Paul get up every time and say, hello, I'm Paul, then I'm prideful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he hit a home run with that testimony. Yes, he did. And I'd advise you if you even consider, talk to him. Be encouraged by that word. Amen. These things, are, these things are, exist to help you. If somebody is a liar, we don't say, you know, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Mary and I'm a liar. We don't do that with anything else. Why do it with those with, with issues of, you know, life controlling substance issues? No, we don't do that. No, why? Because we have been called by his name. We have been given his name. We have been given his righteousness. Amen. So we're not known by our failure, our sin. We're known by our what? Our faith and association with him. Hello, I'm Fred and I'm a child of God. Come on, say, I'm a child of God. That's what you are. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. To find out what he says and agree with it. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, we're taught to believe in the heart and do what? And say with the mouth. And Jesus said, if you would do this, that mount would be no match for the faith that's on the inside of you. But it's interesting that scripture talks three times more times about saying than it does believing. God spoke to Charles Capps while he was still on this earth. And he said, I told my people they can have what they say, but they are saying what they have. Let me say it again. He said, I told my people they could have what they say, but they keep on saying what they have. If you keep on saying one thing, that's where you're going to live the rest of your life. 
You didn't make this up, and that's the point. You're just like making stuff up for your life. You're hearing what God said, believing what he said, and then confessing or agreeing with what he said Amen. by saying the same thing. Yes. Praise God. James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's not at fault in what they say is perfect. One who can keep their whole body in check. Why is that true? Because where the mouth goes, the life will follow. And if you don't like where your life is going, change the things you are saying Amen. based on what you're believing, based on what God said. Psalm 107, 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How many here have been redeemed? How many are born again? How many are right with God? Come on, lift your hand up high. If you know you're right with God, you need to celebrate that and say so. Amen. You need to declare your redemption without apology. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The Bible teaches us there are a couple of people are described as having great faith. I want you to notice this. One is found in Matthew 8, starting with verse 5, the centurion. Scripture says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you should, to come out of my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And listen to this. When Jesus heard it, what was that? God could actually hear something. God is actually listening to your mouth. In numbers, they belly ached and said, why we can't go into the land? It'll destroy us. It'll eat us alive. And God said, I heard everything you said. And everything you said is going to come to pass. And it did. Amen. Look at somebody and say, God's listening to our words. Jesus was listening to him. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. In other words, all the Pharisees, all the Jews, all the temple systems, I've never seen this kind of faith that this Gentile centurion has who has not expressed faith in me. He has great faith. How did he know he had great faith? Because great faith consistently and precisely lines up with their mouth what God says. Great faith has precision with their mouth. The rest of it says this, and I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that same hour. Look at somebody and tell them, that's our Jesus. Come on, say it again, that's our Jesus. But notice that he can hear faith. Precision. The other great case is the Syrophoenician woman, someone else who shouldn't have had the favor based on nationality and birth and culture. But you know the only, you know the only culture Jesus cares about is a faith culture. It says in Mark 7, 24 and following, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, Listen to that carefully. A woman whose little daughter was possessed by the impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian, Phoenician. 
She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, what's that called? That's a classic opportunity for offense. And if she had taken the bait, she would have lost right then and there any potential of receiving a healing from God. I've seen the devil do this to people time and time again. They're on the cusp of receiving the greatest breakthrough they've ever had. But then they got offended over something. You cannot walk with precise faith and offense at the same time. Listen to this. Lord, she replied. How many of that's a good start? Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. How many of you have heard that a, just a mustard seed of faith is all it takes? How do you know just a crumb of the anointing? Just a crumb of the power of God. He told her, listen to these powerful words, for such a reply. Come on, shout that out. For such a reply. You may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. In the centurion's case, we know he heard the centurion. In the case of the Syrophoenician woman, he said explicitly, because of how you replied. Some of y'all just need to adjust your reply. Amen. Just make up your mind. You're going to reply to what you have heard and believed correctly and start lining up your mouth with the eternal principles of God. She could have said, how dare you treat me this way? It's, it's because I'm a Gentile, isn't it? No. He said, because of your reply, because you were saying the same thing, because your mouth stayed engaged with your heart of faith, you're going to receive this miracle. In the Matthew version of the story in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. How did he know she had great faith? Your mouth is the indicator of precise faith. Come on, shout out again, precision. precision. Say it again, precision. precision. I hear what God has to say about a matter. I believe what God says about a matter. And then I say the same thing that God says Amen. about a matter. Will it work for you? Jeremiah 1.12 says, The Lord said to me, you have, been, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. When he sees that word go out, he has acted to see it fulfilled. Listen to what he said in Psalm 103, verse 20 from the classic Amplified. Bless, affectionately, gratefully praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his commandments, hearkening to the voice of his word. It teaches us that when the word of God goes forth out of our mouth, the angels hearken to it and things begin to go into motion that minister to us and bless us and help us. Amen. Our belly aching, complaining, our, our negativism, amen, our pity parties, they don't activate the angelic host. Saying the same thing that God says is what activates the supernatural forces that the Bible tells us aren't all ministering spirits sent to minister on behalf of those who are heirs of salvation. We know that's the scripture. We know that's the word of God. But how are they activated? 
When I hear what God has to say and I believe what God has to say and I choose to say what God has said about that matter. I believe that we're not working them enough. I think some of the angels are just sitting there twiddling their thumbs. Asking a simple question. I wonder when they're going to start getting on the word of God. I wonder when they're going to read that scripture and believe it. We hearken diligently unto the voice of the word of God. To an angel, they can't distinguish the word of God coming out of God's mouth or out of your mouth. Let me say that again because it, it, uh, it hits some of you in the religious stomach and you didn't like it very much. Angels really can't discern the difference between when God speaks his word and you speak God's word. Why? Because the word is the truth. That's the key. Now, I didn't say you are God. I said you're choosing to speak God's word. And as they were activated down through the centuries, they'll activate today the same way on the word of God going forth. Not because we say so, but because the Bible says that they minister to the heirs of salvation. Look at somebody say, we are the heirs of salvation. Come on, tell us about it's good to be a believer. Come on, say, it's good to be a believer. Yes, amen. It's critical that we hear what God has to say. It's critical that we choose to believe. Then we must move on now and choose to say what he says. I love this story in the Bible in Mark chapter 5 about the woman with an issue of blood. She's not the only one, but she clearly demonstrates how to use faith as a tool. Turn to somebody and tell them, use your faith faith. as a tool. tool. Listen carefully. Mark 5, verse 24, And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and yet spent all she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. How do you know this is pretty hopeless? Now she's not in health. She has no strength. She has no social life. And now she's out of funds. She's just grown worse. But when she heard of Jesus, everybody say she heard of Jesus. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, touched the garment. For she had said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging you, and sayest thou, Who toucheth me? And he looked around about to see see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She knew she was healed. She, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her daughter, Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. She's made whole because she learned how to use her faith as a tool. Amen. Where it's out of the realm of, well, walk by faith and I'm believing for this and I'm not sure what they're, they're talking about. But this series particularly, I want you to be able to, the rest of your life, know that using faith as a tool 
is a matter of hearing God, believing God, saying what God says, and then doing what you said. Are you hearing me today? This scripture says she heard of Jesus. Faith comes by. And the beast began to think, well, they couldn't do anything for me. Doctors couldn't do anything for me. Nobody can help me. But I bet you the Messiah can help me. He heard there's a healer walking around town. He, she heard. There you go. She was hearing what God has to say about a matter. She was hearing the testimonies. She was hearing things. Second of all, she believed. She believed what she had actually heard. How do we know that? Because she began to make a beeline to where he was. They're thronging him. At this time, still worshiping him and all of him. This is before the grand betrayal and his arrest. He's, he's just being magnified by the people and they all want a word. They all want a touch. They all want something. But how many of there's a difference between touching him and touching him? Some of you have dealt with severe, you know, immune disorders or, or anemia and things that just sapped you. And there she is, officially and legally, she shouldn't be there. She should be separated according to the law. We know she believed because she chose to ignore her tiredness and her pain and her frustration and her loss and all the things that told her she'll never get out of this. Avoiding this restriction on her movement to press through this strong if she could just touch the hem of his garment. Say me, she heard something. Say it, she heard. She believed and she said. The Greek is, is a wonderful translation here. I mean, the Greek translation helps us understand really what's going on here. The Bible literally tells us that she said and kept on saying. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Getting hit in the face, getting elbowed. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Somebody knocks her down because she's so weak. If I can just touch the hem of his garment as she gets up again. She runs into somebody that knows her. What are you doing out here? You're afflicted. The law forbids you to come out in public. What are you doing here? Ignoring that, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She kept saying to herself. And finally, she gets to the crowd after all the mental warfare and the physicality of being out there in her condition. And she reaches out saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And she touches it. She does the thing she says and the power surges into her body and she's made completely whole in an instant. That's how a person uses their faith, like a tool. Jesus felt such power go out of him that he noticed it. And he asked, uh, who touched me? And they're like, uh, who touched you? <laughs> who didn't touch you? That'd be easier. No, who touched me with what? With hearing, believing, saying, and doing. Who touched me with hearing? Come on, say, who touched me with hearing and believing and saying and doing? She knew she was instantly healed as well. And she received not only wholeness and soundness, but the blessing of the Lord himself. Amen. I tell you that uh, you hear a lot of people say a lot of things about this. They'll, they'll, now you're part of that 
positive confession crowd. You, you're part of that name it and claim it and blab it and grab it folk. Can I tell you something? That, those are the words of the ignorant. They don't understand that these principles are given to us by Almighty God through His Word. They fail to understand that from the very beginning, ours has been what we call an oral faith. Passed down to generation to generation, from mouth to ear, from father to son to daughter, throughout the ages. And that orality, as we call it, has already always been a part of our faith as Christians. And if you don't believe it, go back to Romans 10, 9, 10. You find out that we don't get saved without orality. It's just a lack of understanding. And the truth of the matter is I just can't blab something and grab it. I have to hear what God said, then believe what God said, then say what God said, and then do what God said for my faith to work as a tool. There's no such thing as I'll just make something up and it'll happen. On the other hand, the Bible says by his stripes, I was healed. And I got a revelation of that. I know God said it. The question is, do I believe it? You've got to muddle through some religion and muddle through some false teaching, muddle through some disappointment, muddle through the times maybe you pray for somebody they didn't get healed, muddle through all that to stay on your faith and believe. And now you begin to say, by his stripes, I am healed. We get up next morning, oh, that hurt awful bad. But by his stripes, I am healed. By midday, you can't hardly stand it, the pain is so great. But by his stripes, I'm healed. You go to bed, you feel even worse, but by his stripes, I'm healed. I'm not making this up. This is what God said. It came out of the mouth of the apostle. It came out of the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. I'm just saying what God said. I believe it. I heard it. I'm going to receive it. The next day you get up and it's even worse, but by his stripes, I am healed. You're spending money and time to deal with this thing, but you stay like that woman on your faith, getting punched and thrown down by his stripes, I'm healed. And all of a sudden, wham, that anointing virtue flows. And you've used your faith as a tool. Blab it and grab it, name it, claim it. It's it's born out of ignorance. You understand this, the simple concept of faith is not designed to be mysterious or hard to grasp. At the same time, it's not easy believism because if it were, everyone would be doing it. But they're not. You just got the worst news financially you could ever have. You can't remember when you got such bad news. And you can, you can almost feel the breath of the hounds of hell coming after you. <laughs> Amen. So what do you do? You turn to the one who speaks truth about financial matters. And you find out what God said. And you find out that there are promises for those who are sowers and you find out there are what rights when somebody is a tither and now that you actually go through and you find the scriptures where my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory which is a promise Paul gave to a bunch of sowers and you you go find, you know, Luke 6, 38. You find that Jesus had given, it shall be given. You find out the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he has no sorrow to it. And you find out that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And you find out that these blessings shall come out on you and overtake you. Amen. If you hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord, your God. And you go through all these scriptures and faith is rising because you're looking at the scripture, but you're hearing the spirit behind the word tell you the truth about your financial crisis. Now all of a sudden you say, you know what? I believe this. 
I believe. God told Isaac, sow in the middle of a famine in a land that was not producing. In the same year, he reaped a hundredfold what was sold. Why? Because he heard, he believed, he said, hey, what you doing, Isaac? Hey, it's crazy. Don't you know you're going to I'm going to do what God said. And he, he reaped. And here you are in the worst financial crisis in the world. And you just begin to say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Hey, devil, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Now, all of a sudden, these are coming out of your mouth like a machine gun. And you get up and go home the next day and then you go get in the mailbox and there's five more bills with good news. And then somebody calls you. The bill collector knows you on a first name basis. And it seems that every turn something's getting worse and yet you decided to keep your mouth on what did God say. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get a call or letter saying uh, such and such a debt was taken off our books. You know, uh, nothing paid in full. Amen. Is he able to do that? Yes. I said, is he able to do that? Yes. Amen. I don't think my mom will mind me telling you this, but uh, there are companies that contacted her and said uh, everything that, uh, that your husband owed about this or that, it's gone. It's canceled. I mean, I've seen more cancellation in that situation I have in many, many years. God is a faithful God. Yes, I like that word, cancel that debt. That's what he did with your sin debt. Let me ask you this. Is it harder to cancel sin debt or, or money debt? You don't have to choose. Amen. She's a great example for us because the woman with an issue heard, she believed, she said, and she did. And she got wholeness back in her life. Amen. If you get anything out of the teaching. Amen. Are you receiving it in your heart today? Are you, are you applying it to your life? Just don't let somebody complicate this for you. I don't start with what I think or what I want or what them said. No, I start with what did God say. And then I believe it and I say it and I do it. That's how you use your faith as a tool. Yeah. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, I just sensed right then and there. Come on, tell them right now. I just sensed right then and there. Come on, shout out. I just sensed right then and there. Big old turd just fell off of you. Come on, let's stand and give him a big hand clap and let's thank him today.